You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Hello and welcome to TFM's local watering hole for all of those franchises outside of Star Trek. And I am just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and I'm so excited to have back with me the one, the only. Oh wait, are you a are you a simulant or are you the real Christy Morris? Just don't look under my hat and we're fine. Oh, oh, sure, sure. Okay. We'll just let that go. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're really excited tonight because we're going to be talking about a brand new film that's just come out recently uh, in theaters from director Gareth Edwards, who gave us Rogue One and a bunch of other great things like uh, Godzilla and his original sci-fi film, The Creator, which is so exciting to have an original film. Before we dive into that, of course, we do appreciate everybody who's listening uh, wherever you are listening, if you'll just hit the subscribe button, whatever that is, whatever it takes to subscribe, that way you'll get all of our shows as soon as they become available. You can also find us on social media on what used to be Twitter, at The 602 Club. We are also on Instagram, at The 602 Club TFM. We've got the entire network on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. You can also find our listeners-only discussion group on Facebook called The Babel Conference, and you can talk to listeners from all over the world. And if you do like what we do here uh, at TFM, please make sure you go over to Patreon at patreon.com slash trekfm, become part of our team, and make sure that all that we are doing can keep coming to you each and every week. We just can't put this together on our own. We definitely need help from listeners just like you. So make sure that you go over to Patreon at patreon.com slash trekfm and do that for us. But Christy, I wanted to ask you before we got to anything that was on the outline uh, you know, it's very difficult. I feel like sometimes these days for movies to be able to make it, especially if they're not a part of a franchise already. Uh, and so is there, was this a movie that you saw the previews for? Were you looking forward to it? Had you heard about it before I, you know, we put it on the schedule for the 602 club? So yeah, actually before we put it on the schedule or talked about it, I had seen the preview and definitely found it intriguing. I mean, obviously, you and I both are sci-fi fans already in general, and this has some common elements of lots of other sci-fi films in it. So it piqued my interest for sure. Um, I will say the only thing that kind of made me hesitant was that there wasn't a huge name as a leading man in this movie. So it made it feel a little bit more like an indie film, which is not always my thing. So... That was my only hesitation initially with going to see it before you and I talked about it. What about you? Yeah, um, you know, this is something that uh, I was very aware uh, that was coming out, of course, you know, knowing Gareth Edwards and his work, you know, I thought it was fantastic and was very excited to to see, uh, you know, what he would bring. Um, I really enjoyed, of course, Rogue One, and I liked uh, his his film, uh, Godzilla as well. I thought he did a great job. Um, you know, I, I feel mm-hmm. like he always does a, a fantastic job in creating uh, a look and a feel 
uh, as well. And um, his films are always really well shot, too. And so all of that made me excited. And, you know, I knew uh, John David Washington from Tenet. And, of course, he's Denzel Washington's son. uh, So, you know, there's that connection as well, which is fantastic. So this was definitely something that uh, I was looking forward to as we were coming into the movie, uh, you know, and... Uh, all of those things made this exciting. Plus, I just, you know, for me, seeing the trailer itself, I was really impressed with the look of the trailer uh, and the idea of I love original sci-fi. You know, I think back to something like Arrival or something like that. It's come out in the last few years where, uh, you know, you just have incredibly good ideas being put on screen by uh, good directors. And to me... You know, that's just something that's really exciting. So, um, yeah, from in this, I was definitely looking forward uh, to the film. And so, um, honestly, that brings me to a, a big question for you, because this is a, uh, a new world. Um, the, the world itself that we're dropped into, uh, you know, we kind of have a little bit of a prologue that kind of lets us know uh, this is a a universe where, you know, robots and AI have become a thing. There's this horrible attack. So first, I just wanted to ask you, how did you feel about the setup and the world creation that we kind of get plugged into within, you know, 10 minutes of the movie starting? So I think they at least make it plausible because of the way it's introduced where, you know, they're showing you really advanced things, but then also images of ways that we in present day use technology to help us anyway. So, you know, showing people with prosthetic limbs or, um, you know, with, um, I I guess, you know, you wouldn't say necessarily that we have robots just walking around everywhere currently, obviously, but it's getting there. You know, um, there's a lot of toys that are going that direction. Um, It's just currently been too expensive for us to have our own personal robots. But it's not that far in the future. So this isn't a super um, complex thing to comprehend as an audience. And then also they're showing you images that make it more believable. So I like that, that even though it it is a, a totally different time in the future, clearly, where things are a lot more advanced and readily available to the common person, it's also not that hard to believe. Yeah, I think that the movie, if I remember, takes place in like 2065, uh, somewhere around there. And, you know, so that's not so possibly in our lifetime. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not that far uh, from where we are now. But obviously, too, um, they do a great job of kind of showing that the creation of the robots is something that is uh, really beginning for in this universe around the 50s and the 60s. And, you know, AI becoming much more of a thing much earlier than it is now, even mm-hmm. though as we speak, you know, AI is becoming this thing that is is kind of taking over in, in all of these different areas, you know, and, and people are worried about, you know, what's going to happen with it. So this movie gives us the opportunity to then, of course, be able to think about all of those type of ideas, which I think is great. Um, but like you, mm-hmm. I think. One of the things that it does is it clearly 
to me kind of sets up the world, um, but it doesn't go overboard. And I've seen some people kind of complaining about this idea of with the movie uh, not giving enough answers, you know, at, why is, you know, kind of all of Asia just one place in, instead of all the different countries, you know, there's there's been a complete change, it seems, uh, and our world outlook, you know, in the sense of what countries exist and that kind of stuff. And there's there's not really any indication mm -hmm. as to why that's the case, um, you know, but to me, in some ways, I, I, I can get where people might want those kind of answers, I guess, in the movie. But the movie is clearly taking place in kind of an alternate universe, basically. This is an alternate history film. Right. And so I'm willing to go with that and be okay with it not having to explain why every single thing about this alternate history is different uh, than, you know, what we have currently today right i think that's an excellent point because i mean case in point when you mention in their universe it starts back in what looks like the 50s of our time like the 1950s so clearly it's already a lot more advanced of a universe than we actually have in existence for ourselves so i think that right there can show you that this is going to be a completely different kind of place where technology is being developed a lot faster. And maybe they've got access to better quality materials to make it faster. You know, maybe they've discovered some new metal that we don't have yet kind of thing. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. Mm -hmm. Well, and I mean, I just one of the things about the world creation here is that everything that we see in the world from the types of planes that they have to the types of tanks that they have, the types of weapons that they have, the types of, um, you know, recording devices that they have. All of these mm -hmm. things have an incredibly interesting look and they all feel, I think, very consistent within the world that we're presented um, and it's all very visually interesting, you know, um, whether or not it's the televisions that they're watching or – you know, he got he has what looks like a piece of paper, but it's actually a device that holds like a live picture. It's like a, you know, uh, you can take. Those, oh, right. Like a digital yeah, frame or uh, something. You can take those live pictures with uh, your your iPhone and mm -hmm. where it has movement and everything. And so it, it it's like this cross between the technology we have and almost like, you know, not quite like Harry Potter where the you know, pictures can talk to you and move and everything like that. But, you know, it's like there, mm -hmm. there's just something really cool about that. And, and then all of that was, was what I was really struck by is that the design of the world and the world that we are dropped into just feels visually interesting. It feels so consistent within itself. Um, and it's, it's an incredibly, um, wonderful world in the sense of getting to just kind of look at every frame and explore what this world looks like. And um, to me, that's one of the things you want with an original sci-fi film. You know, you want it to have its own feeling. Um, and I think that just the production value of this film, the, the creation of everything that they make, 
Um, I think the visual effects in the film, you know, everything done to create this world is just absolutely top notch. Yeah, I think back to even when we talked about like Passengers had kind of that look as well. And then, you know, by contrast, Alien had a totally different kind of sci-fi look where it's a very gritty, grounded world. So I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. You need every sci-fi film to have its own look and feel and then also to draw people in to not give you all the answers because it's sometimes more interesting to have the mystery and be trying to answer those questions for yourself. Yeah, I mean, this, uh, and I'm glad you said that because, you know, this kind of reminds me in some ways of that kind of alien feel, right? You know, you have a very lived-in universe, the 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 ships that they have that they're on, um, and when I say ship, I mean, like, uh, the idea of uh, the the planes that they're on the the weapons that they're using um, the the places mm-hmm. that they're going like the tank the tank uh, you know all that stuff yeah it feels very lived in it feels very military in that way you know um, sometimes claustrophobic which is great and and I think on top of all of that you know uh, one of the beauties of this film is that it's uh, shot by the cinematographer is. Uh, Greg Frazier, who did Dune, Zero Dark Thirty, Rogue One, you know, he did The Batman, and all of these are, you know, things to which I think are phenomenal and all look amazing. And to mm-hmm. me, that's the other thing about that I just really struck by when it came to this film, how good it just looks. It's not just, you know... um, the production value but it's just the look of the movie is gorgeous it's shot so beautifully and you know they actually mention when you you know look at the production information on the movie that that was the biggest thing aside from the actual overall story and themes that gareth edwards cared about was making sure that it looked stunning and that it was able to look stunning and and not go insanely over budget. And so he actually surprised a lot of people by using a camera that people wouldn't expect you to use for a blockbuster film, mm-hmm. quote unquote, um, and decided to go and s- said actually it, he realized it would be cheaper to visit 80 different locations around the world and film realistic places than to build the sets to film all of that yeah and so they actually go to thailand and film there which is seems so silly that that's a groundbreaking idea but (laughs) that was why uh part of the reason that it, it looks so good is that a lot of the scenes where they're shooting they're actually shooting in a real place and then going in and adding the effects in later Yep. No, I 100% agree with you. And I think, um, you know, that's one of the the things that just makes this work. Um, and, you know, it, it's one of the things where uh, I, I praise, you know, ardently the work that they did in Andor. And I think one of the reasons that Andor looks so good is because they did that exact same thing, right? They went to many mm-hmm. practical locations and then they just augmented with – CGI. Uh, and so you have this real world feel and 
because you're in a real place, right? And so I I, I think mm-hmm. that this is one of those things where this really works for this movie. So I did want to ask you about this because this is I was a surprise to me the first time I saw this movie was the idea of this movie being broken up into these chapters. And, you know, so the movie starts off with just, you know, it's the creator. Um, and um, that's the name of the film overall. But then you have these chapters, the child, the mother, and the friend. And I wanted to, to ask you just kind of how you felt that worked. Well, I definitely was surprised the first time as well, like you were, because we're not used to that being a regular feature of films anymore. So I think it does throw you off a little bit initially, but then after the first one, you come to expect, okay, maybe they'll do more of these. And I like the way that it broke it up. I really think that the chapter title card makes you realize you need to refocus your attention on a certain piece of the story. And that way, then they don't have to do as much exposition in the beginning. Um, and they're still showing, not telling. So I think it really worked. Yeah, I, I liked it too. I thought it was really interesting. Um, I thought the idea of, you know, kind of getting into the film and then having this, you know, chapter title card, the child come up, which is very much about, you know, the, the meeting of, of Joshua and, you know, this child who becomes Alfie to him and um, their relationship. And it's it's the complete shock of meeting what is supposed to be this weapon, uh, but it's a child. And so your his reaction to that, I think, is phenomenal. Um, mm-hmm. You know, going to the idea of uh, the next one being the mother, where, you know, this story is in some ways um, about my uh, kind of being the mother of a, like almost like a new version of humanity because Alfie is a combination of, of a scan of the embryo that she had between her and Joshua and a combination with, you know, the simulant creating this kind of new version of life, a, 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 a artificial life form that can actually grow you know, so she kind of brings that together and, and then, you know, the friend, this idea, it's not just the friend of Joshua's that they meet, but it's also him kind of becoming, I mean, uh, you know, her friend, um, becoming mm-hmm. a friend to her. You know, obviously, we, we find out later in the film that not only is he a friend, um, but he is also in some ways kind of her father, um, which is, you know, a fascinating idea. And so, you know, you have this mother and father and, and child who are going to change the world, which, you know, creates another, you know, kind of interesting idea of that they would, you know, be um, instituting basically a new form of humanity, you know, um, mm-hmm. by bringing together these these two disparate groups. And so I, to me, it was really interesting way to tell the story and i i I thought that it it helped kind of hone in on some of the thematic elements there of the film and then for the characters uh and to me it really worked yeah i actually the thing that i found really fascinating about this above all is the the way that they distinguish 
obviously between humans and simulants. Um, and then, you know, remark on how Alfie is so different and the fact that they chose to make the weapon a child, I think is the perfect idea because no one would expect that. So then the characters that created Alfie could feel safer that it was not going to be discovered until they wanted it to because it subverts expectation. So, you know, possibly she could have been hiding in plain sight even all along um, if they didn't want to, you know, protect her so much because she was so innocent. Um, And then I love the conversation as well about, um, you know, Alfie and Josh talking about what heaven is and about how people are created and that it's sort of poetic in a sense that even though a human was able to create this artificial life, we're still not able to create life. You know, that it's it's sort of this um, tandem storytelling of, yes, they created something, and yes, they can grow and everything, but they still have to be made out of parts, like any machine. And there is still an element that humanity is unable to replicate, and that is humanity. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I mean... I love that you bring that up because, you know, this whole idea of bringing up heaven can can, you know, do all good robots go to heaven, you know, kind of question. Uh, and, well, and like, how was Joshua made? Exactly. Um, <laughs> and it, so it really kind of creates this idea of personhood, like who can be a person who isn't a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we keep getting told over and over again that simulants aren't real. They're just programming. And yet you know, it's one of those things that is interesting because it also does seem like that you can take who a person was with a scan of their brain and put them into a simulant body, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, it, it creates all of these big metaphysical questions about, you know, the soul and where does that, you know, where is that as a part of a person, you know, and uh, if if you if Maya had been alive at the end of the film, but in the form of a simulant, would she have really been Maya? You know, like I think all of these are really incredibly interesting questions um, to mm-hmm. to be asking. And at the same time, too, when it came to personhood, I also saw that this movie really seemed to also be about the ways in which human beings, how do we treat those things that aren't 100% the same as us? Do we only see the differences or can we find the similarities? Um, You Mm -hmm. know, and how do we treat the things that we create too? You know, I think all of that was really interesting to me. And so there's so many great questions that this movie kind of brings up. And it seemed like to me one of the big answers that they kind of gave – to some of these things is that love changes everything, right? You can love mm-hmm. something that's not a hundred percent the same as you. And therefore loving it changes the way in which you interact with it. 
Um, and it can change it from being a, something that you might, you know, not consider a person to basically being a person, right? And so I, I just that's such an interesting question. Yeah, I, I love that they show how over time Joshua really learns so much more about Alfie and comes to develop that, you know, emotion towards her and doesn't feel the same way anymore about simulants. You know, he realized that there was something unique about this person and does actually see her as a person by the end of the movie, even though she's technically a machine. Um, and especially because she's a combination of the embryo from him and his wife. I think that makes it even more difficult for him to then differentiate between human and robotic child because he never got to have a child with the woman that he loved except for this one. So, you know, I think that it also deals then with how people deal with loss and finding a way to love again. And so he's realized that this is his chance to be a father, even if it's not the way he envisioned it originally. So I think that's also a beautiful aspect of it, of, of almost like, you know, found family or adoption or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that what this does for the movie and, and the questions that it raises are just incredibly interesting. And, you know, it it really is um, something to which, you know, even if simulants were uh, a just a, a, a group of programming, right, just a bunch of programming, and it, it does not mean that we can't then afford them rights. You know, we have the ability to grant them that. And it, it really comes down to how do we treat what we create? You know, are mm -hmm. we good creators? And, you know, that that creates all of these very interesting questions, I think, when it comes to the idea of when we think about um, the ideas of God and all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, uh, by being these type of creators and everything – uh, make us, I seem, it seems to me, a, a pretty crummy gods, um, you know, if we create these things and then, um, you know, we then treat them like garbage. And so yeah. I, I find that to be really fascinating. Um, and I also think that the question gets even deeper when we realize that, you know, this is all predicated on this kind of error code. You know, that we learn that the attack that happened wasn't actually attack an attack. It was a coding error created by a human being, not the AI. And in fact, mm -hmm. what we learn is that AI wants nothing more than survive and be at peace with humanity. And so... It just really brought up this question to me. Okay, first, did did you know? Did the United States in the in the film 
which is seen as being the aggressor against AI because of this act that happens in Los Angeles. Did they know that it was human error or were they going off what they thought they knew, uh, which would be basically in the end faulty intelligence? And, you know, I will say for sure my initial response was first considering the source it was a simulant delivering that information. So it's kind of, you know, I initially just balk at, is the simulant telling the truth? We don't know. Um, but, you know, if you, you play devil's advocate and go along with it, that's definitely reasonable to expect because to err is human. <laughs> you know, if, I mean, there are also errors in machines that happen sometimes inexplicably. But to that level, I think that it would make sense that it was a person making a coding mistake and not the machine. So, um, and it's reasonable to expect that in the world that we live in, unfortunately, sometimes countries are so tense that they may take faulty information and run with it and start a war anyway. You know, unfortunately, that is a risk that we're all kind of expecting could happen at any point, I think, which is sad. Yeah. You know, I I, I think what you said is really interesting. The idea of, you know, can we trust the source in it, at least from my reading of the film was that that it was portrayed as being true um right. and so i think that to me just again created this really interesting uh thought process then about how quickly we react to things um and mm -hmm. you know it, the split second judgment based off of what we think is true before actually delving in and finding out what actually happened you know, and it, it just kind of brought to mind, you know, the ways in which people overreact on social media before we have any information. You know, the very first information, quote unquote, comes out and we all react as if that's the whole truth and nothing but the truth instead of like waiting until we get all of the facts, you know. And this was one of those places where it seemed to be too, you know, humanity reacts here with – raw emotion instead of possibly the the whole truth and mm -hmm. that was something that was really interesting to me as an idea because i i think we see that over and over again play out in our world and and it was interesting in the sense that it's not a question that's answered in the movie uh, as to whether or not that fact was known before this war began right and we don't even really know right. if um, research was done into it. You know, that's not something we're told to, you know. And so I think that just creates a lot of really interesting questions to which, you know, of course, play in very much, I think, to our world. Uh, and so, uh, you know, and, and then, you know, it, there was this question, too, uh, with this idea of, you know, them just being programming and code, um, you know, the uh, linking with the idea of personhood you know 
one of the the people in the movie says that AI is evolution, which is a, a very interesting idea of, especially when you consider the way in which Alfie is a combination of humanity and machine put together. And mm. so you, you do have these, again, just tons of really interesting questions. Um, of course, the movie itself, I don't think, digs into that a lot. Um, but it's definitely something that just kind of gets you thinking in the world of this film. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think they're they're leaving that question out in the air as one of the most interesting pieces that keeps you watching the rest of the movie. And I think it's good, like we said earlier, that you don't always answer every question because this is something that I think people have to answer for themselves. I'm sure there are a million different viewpoints on what people think of as that as a possible evolution. Um, I think that the the other interesting piece of that thought is that it's still the AI still had to be created by someone. And so, you know, I think that how could it be eventually the only life form be the evolved version of humanity unless there's other older robots that are able to build Mm -hmm. new ones? Yeah. You know, it it still has to be made by someone. (laughs) Yep. Well, and I think that the biggest question in the end becomes one that's difficult to answer which is the idea you know and you know this is where metaphysics comes into play of the idea of personhood and a soul and all of those kind of things which create really interesting Mm -hmm. questions you know and not easy ones to answer so Mm -hmm. um you mentioned up top that you know john david washington was not somebody that you were familiar with really and so i'm i'm really interested to see what you thought of him as joshua taylor so yeah i will say my initial thought seeing him on screen i did not remember him from tenet but i did see tenet um and we talked about it on the show so i don't know why i didn't remember him but um i just initially think that if you're if you're wanting to really get a big bang for your buck in the box office that you would want a more recognizable name as the main star, like maybe Idris Elba or something. Um, but that being said, he definitely does well with the role. I think that John David Washington really gets across the emotion of every scene um, and for sure gets across the feeling of loss and disinterest that Joshua Taylor has when he's initially approached to go back into service with the military for this mission. You know, I, I think that he, he's so good at showing the humanity and the complexity of all the situations that Joshua Taylor is going through of, you know, he's dealing with, being in love and being, you know, ready to meet their new baby soon and then losing everything. Getting to where he's 
finally dealt with still being the one alive and has a job, but is kind of trying to slowly kill himself and says that he's not really interested in saving the world because he's lost everything. So what does it matter? And that's a pretty terrible place to be in emotionally. So somehow he learns to care again so much so that he's willing to risk his life to save Alfie's. And I like that they added that beautiful moment of him getting to see Maya again, even though she's a simulant, because that's the closure he needs before his life is no more. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting because, you know, on that, you know, he mentions that he would do just about anything to have one more, you know, minute with her. And then that's Mm -hmm. what he's able to get, basically. And, you know, I think it was fascinating to watch the movie and, and of course, having seen him in Tenet, um, you know, but recently having watched quite a few movies with his father, Denzel, he's got so many of his dad's um, way of acting. I just think he's really, really good. I like him a lot. Um, I want to see him in more things. Um, I still mm-hmm. want to see him as John Stewart uh, as a Green Lantern. I think he would be fantastic. But I, he's great in this movie. I think he gives you everything you need to bring this character to life in a way that makes sense. And, you know, I, I think, too... He's the right age, of course, too. With Idris Elba, he would kind of be too old to play this character because this character is meant to be somebody who is probably in their 30s, but like you mentioned, has totally given up on life because he's already lost everything. He has no family. He has no wife. He has no kid. Everything has been taken away from him, and he feels hopeless and helpless. Uh, and I think he gives you exactly what you need in this movie to be along with him for the ride. Uh, and I, I loved him in the, in the role. And again, just watching him here, I want to see him in more things. And then I thought his chemistry with Madeline Yuna Wales, I think is how you say her name, um, playing Alfie was fantastic. You know, she was wonderful uh, as as this, you know, young simulant um, and her, you know, discovering the world for the first time and trying to, you know, figure things out as well and figure out who she is as a person and a character and in this larger scheme of what's going on. I think she was great. I thought she did a fantastic job. She was really great. I like even just the writing that they did with her character to make her so gentle and thoughtful. And she's constantly learning and picking up on things and listening more than talking. And even in the moments when she is dismantling technology remotely, you know, which is this amazing skill she has, it's almost like she takes a yoga pose. Everything is about slowing things down rather than reacting like the humans are doing in this story. Right. (laughs) So I found that interesting, too. And yeah, I think that Madeline was brilliant as the character and also just adorable, you know, as Mm -hmm. playing this child who is has all of this responsibility on her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, But also 
still having that um, softness. Yeah, I mean, I could agree with you more. Um, I, I think she's just so good in the role. Um, it was interesting t- to me because I, you know, I haven't seen uh, Gemma Chan in. I don't know if I've seen her in anything since I saw Eternals with her, and but I thought she did a really great job here of basically playing uh, Nirmata in the end. We learn and. It almost kind of made me wish that we had more time with her, especially her time with Joshua, because I thought, you know, her and John David Washington had a nice chemistry together. Um, But I think she does a good job of bringing to life a character to which you don't actually get to spend a lot of time with, which is always impressive to me. Yes, um, I agree with you, by the way. The last thing we would have seen her in was Eternals, uh, but she's also been in several other big films. like Captain Marvel, actually. Um, she was apparently Minerva. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It lets you know just how much I remember Captain Marvel. Yeah. <laughs> but she's wonderful. I think that she is so good about having sort of the same characters they're showing in Alfie of this quiet strength. And I like that as a character as well, they have her tell joshua that she was raised by simulants right you know because her father was the creator although they she doesn't explain that to him while she's Mm -hmm. still alive um she was raised on in this kind of atmosphere and so to her simulants and humans have never been different she said actually that they treated her a lot better than humans probably would have you know and especially that really it's funny how much i'm realizing i'm talking about like the foster care system and adoption and stuff but that really made me think about that and like kids that grow up in the system and about how terrible you hear their experiences are sometimes and Mm -hmm. that if someone could have a good experience and it happened to be from simulants that raised them then that is a good thing that we would want that raises capable human beings, you know, um, yeah, without trauma. The, the the most interesting thing uh, about the um, the movie to me is the way in which um, she does, I think, such a great job of of bringing that together. Um, and yeah, I I was really impressed. And the other thing. I found uh, really impressive as well was the way that Allison and Janney plays how that colonel in the, the U.S. military and the way that she was able to alternate between, you know, I think she does actually truly care for Joshua and the experience that he's been through, but she also completely believes in the mission that she's a part of. And um, I think she does a fantastic job of playing the role with the the amount of care she needs for the people in her command, but the ruthlessness she has to get the mission completed. Um, And all of that to me was just really well done. And again, she doesn't have a ton of screen time, but it was just a great and interesting choice because I've seen her in so many different types of roles, but I thought she did a really good job here. Yeah, she surprised me because usually, you know, I'm used to seeing her in things like Juno, (laughs) you know, something more comedic. 
Um, so this was totally different for me seeing her in this role, but I thought Allison Janney really gets across that she is someone who's been permanently wounded emotionally mm-hmm. by yes. this yeah. issue. Um, and now purely sees the simulants as the enemy. And, you know, they say one bad apple ruins the whole bunch. That's what happened in her mind. None of them can be trusted. And the greater good in her mind is exactly what the mission says, which is to destroy the simulants. And she'll do that at any cost, which is unfortunate because it's then going back to that argument we were talking about where how do we treat our creation if you start seeing people as other as it's us versus them then you take away any humanity or human characteristics they might have had and any emotional tie you have to to protecting them and i think Humanity does that, obviously, you know, with the situations we've seen in politics lately of, you know, wars around the world of um, viewing each other sometimes as in those us versus them categories and where it leads is always bad. Yeah. And so that's what is shown here with her. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, I I think it's great. Um, I the one thing and the one person that's in the film I wish that we had more of um, was Ken Watanabe. I always love him in movies. And, you know, it was just one of those things where I get why uh, they they couldn't have him in the movie more because, you know, he's not a main part of the cast, but he's just so good. Um, and I really wish that, um, you know, anything he's in, I, I want, you know, more of, honestly. Can we just have a Ken Watanabe star movie? <laughs> like he's great. the leading man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, yeah. you know, having him in and I think of him in Inception, you know, he's so great in that mm. film, you know, and just anything, any movie he, that he's in, he does such a fantastic job with. So, yeah, I'm with you. I would absolutely just love to have him in more things because he's great. So, yeah, he he did not get enough time in this movie but what he does show he's so essential for and is that scene where he is explaining what actually happened at least according to the simulant with the human error causing the missile launch on los angeles and also showing that he wants to protect alfie and that he is sort of the peacekeeper trying to be this liaison between the simulants and the humans to show that they want to coexist peacefully. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, he's brilliant. And I have to say, I love him most from Memoirs of a Geisha, but mm, he also yeah. was great yeah. in everything else he was in. Yeah, he he really is. So. I wanted to ask you, too, because uh, one of the things about the film uh, that I thought was was really cool and I always love is to to see that Hans Zimmer uh, was doing the score. Uh, and this this movie has, you know, some some needle drops in it that not your typical needle drops because they're they're not a lot of things that people, you know, are like probably listening to every single day. But I w- have been listening to and I think Hans Zimmer's score is really beautiful work here. 
Um, and I thought he did a fantastic job of creating a very emotional score for some of the biggest emotional moments of the movie. This one was a lot more noticeable for me than the average movie because of the way that it was set up so uniquely. You know, I'm thinking of some of the scenes where I would traditionally expect the sound engineers to make it a more quiet um, scene where you're listening for the sounds of what's going on in the scene rather than the music. But instead, they decided to layer the score on top and actually Mm -hmm. even a little bit louder than you would expect. It threw me for a loop. (laughs) Um, It's not that I didn't like it, but it was just so different from what I would usually expect for the scenes that they did that, um, which makes it so interesting. So that really surprised me and I thought was so um, much more intriguing than the average movie. And I think overall just love Hans Zimmer's work and he did a great job with this one. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it is beautiful. I don't know that I am going back to listen to it on a regular basis, but I think it fit well. Yeah, it's it's actually it's it's not an like at least as it's presented on the album, it's not an incredibly long score. Uh, but I have mm-hmm. absolutely enjoyed listening uh, to it as I've been, you know, working on things on my computer or whatever, just in my office at home. Um, uh, and so I, I thought it's been you know great. Uh, and like you said, it there are some of those moments where you're just kind of surprised at the choices that they did make, but they work so well, I think, for the movie too. You know, that's the thing that, mm-hmm. that makes it great is is by doing those surprising things. But then seeing how they actually work within the film itself. And I think all the choices that they made with the score work perfectly for me and they worked great inside the movie and I've also enjoyed them outside the movie which is always a huge plus so I Um, am so excited though because it's so much fun to be able to talk about you know a new sci-fi movie that doesn't have anything to do with another franchise and obviously this is one of those things where you've you've got a creator of a film who loves lots of different types of sci-fi and he's taken all that and thrown it into a blender basically and created something of his own. And so I can't wait to see, you know, what you end up rating the creator. Yeah. I, I really thought about this a lot because I think that there are some huge things here that are so different that you don't usually see. And that's kind of what you need if you're coming out with a new sci-fi movie is you don't want it to feel derivative of all that came before it. And that's a risk that you take going with sci-fi at this point because there's been so much. But I think that with the sound, the score, um, and the actors, that it gives a lot more weight to this movie than I thought it would and did really impress me. Um, I mean, even just the design of Nomad, which I thought was so interesting seeing how, you know, Gareth Edwards talked about it being a combination of like the all seeing eye and a ship apparently took him like all of 2020 to design, (laughs) but that was fine because we were in lockdown, you know? Um, So I'm going to rate it a four out of five nomads. 
because it really just stood out to me and surprised me in a lot of ways. And, you know, initially I had a lot of hesitation, like I said, with not having a lead actor that I was as familiar with, but I think that it just works. So that's where I end up. What about you? Yeah, that's awesome. Um, You know, I'm actually at the exact same place when it comes to ratings. Um, I think that this was an incredibly interesting movie. Um, I can obviously see where, you know, Edwards has pulled from and the things that he was inspired by, but that doesn't bother me. I think he he put them into the blender well and created something that is interesting and fascinating. Um, You know, it's there are places where I would have maybe liked just to a little bit more in something, maybe um, some further exploration to some of these really important themes that we talked about, or um, maybe, you know, just some of the, uh, the character relationships or something like that. But I seen this movie twice now and I really enjoy it. I think it's, it's one of those things where, you know, I just wish that people would go to the movies and give movies like this a chance where they end up liking them or not, because it's, we need more of it, right? We need more movies that aren't just some franchise that's trying to be rebooted or, you know, continuation of a thousand different, you know, um, Marvel films or DC films or any mm-hmm. of these things, right? Like, I, I think all of this is is something that we need more of. And so I'm going to go four out of five Nomads as well. I, I, I think, you know, if there's anything I could say... Um, you know, Christy and I are saying we recommend you go see this in the theater. It's gorgeous. Yeah. It's wonderful. It's it's worth your time. So go do it. Um, and uh, you know, and, and again, just support these type of movies. You know, support um, these type of movies being made uh, because if you don't, um, unfortunately, we're going to end up in a place where they just don't make movies like this anymore, right? Um, and, and give new actors a chance. Exactly. Exactly. They you know, proved me wrong. <laughs> see, I mean, and and I, I, I 100% agree. I think that's a great point. You know, we don't we don't get people finding actors to follow if we don't actually go see the movies that they're in. And, you know, mm-hmm. John David Washington, to me, um, has all of the hallmarks of what made his father an incredible actor. And at the same time, he brings his own sensibility, which I think is phenomenal. So I highly recommend and we highly recommend you go see the creator. But uh, Christy, if people wanted to catch up with you and and talk about their experience at the creator, uh, where would they find you? Well, you can find me in the Babel Conference on Facebook if you want to have an in-depth discussion, but also, of course, on Instagram and X or Twitter at Bespin Bell. And then if you want to go and listen to a finished podcast I did with my friends Amanda and Teresa, it's called Sabres and Spells, which was over on the Skywalking Through Neverland Network. And what about you? Well, you could find me all over social media under the name Matt Rushing02, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Letterbox, Vero. You can, of course, find me here on the network and a bunch of other shows, Literary Treks, The Orb, Warp 5, The Artificial Tango, and Saddle Up. 
You can also find me on the Nerd Party Network doing a couple of different shows. One is Owl Post. Talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series one chapter at a time. Uh, so you want to check that out as well as aggressive negotiations as I talk about Star Wars each and every week with the one and only John Mills. But thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now you hear. here.